Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this April 2014 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on saving and sharing family stories. We'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will tell us eight ways to know it's time to start writing your family history. Then we're going to jump into the top tips segment to talk about the questions that you could be answering and passing on to your grandchildren from the book Stories from My Grandparent. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to dig into one of my favorite websites, the Library of Congress, and specifically the American Memory Project and Chronicling America, both of which are great resources for adding context to your family stories. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree University instructor Lisa Alzo is back to share tips on publishing your family story from her class, Creating a Family History Book. And finally, Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, will point us to some great resources to make saving and sharing stories even easier. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Uh, You know, our theme in this episode is saving and sharing family stories. But I know a lot of family historians get a little overwhelmed, and they kind of find it hard to know at at what point, you know, do you start writing and Mm. putting that time in to getting those stories down. And you posted a great article on the Genealogy Insider blog. It's called Eight Ways to Know It's Time to Start Writing Your Family History. So I'm dying to know. (laughs) Help us get inspired to get started. What was your first way? Well, the first way is actually what spurred me to um, write down what I was learning about my dad's family. And that was that people are curious. They're starting to ask you and They want to know what you're finding about the ancestors that you all share. So um, that is a really good point to kind of take stock of the records you found and um, make copies for people or put them on CD is what I did. And then add some context. It can just be a simple narrative about um, that kind of connects the, the different records that you found. Right. So it doesn't have to be the full-blown book. We can simply right. put something together. I like what you said, you know, hand them out at Christmas time at some mm-hmm. point when the whole family's getting together. And number two, you said an important anniversary is coming up. So uh, d- did you have an event like that in your family that kind of uh, spawned sharing the stories? Well, we've had... For example, my parents' um, 40th wedding anniversary, it's hard to believe. So that was kind of another um, another event that spurred me to want to put together something for um, for my dad's family and then for my mom's family to think, you know, I really should do more work on that line. And, and I still need to put together that information for people. There's a lot more, a lot more people <laughs> in that family. Well, and also that I like the idea that, you know, the anniversary comes up once a year. It's a great kind of deadline. I think we all need mm-hmm. a little bit of pressure to know what's what's the date we're shooting for to get something together. Right. Just be sure to give yourself enough time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how about number three? 
sometimes you you really identify with somebody you're researching or they have a great story that has some kind of um, moral or a lesson or, you know, that someone in your family could relate to. So those are just stories that want to be told. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's even easier to um, narrow your writing focus to one person in their story. Yeah, perfect. And I liked number four a lot. This is one I recommend to genealogists all the time. And that is when you're at a brick wall. Mm -hmm. Tell us, how is the writing down of the story going to help us with the brick wall? It helps you see holes in your research, places you haven't looked, and it helps you analyze what you found and maybe draw some conclusions or develop a different theory about what might have happened. So you you open up more research pathways for yourself. Exactly. I I hear that a lot from uh, professional genealogists. You know, Mm -hmm. a narrative is a really critical part of the process, which kind of leads us into number five. You say here, you solved a brick wall or you achieved a research goal. Yeah. So it's like uh, throw partying and get it down on paper while it's fresh. (laughs) Right, right. Tell how you solved the problem. And then it's another way take stock of what you found and figure out what your next goal is going to be. And how about number six? If you need a break from looking for more information, or maybe you kind of feel like you've exhausted the the low-hanging fruit, um, you know, so your next step maybe is going to be more involved. So maybe you'll take a little break before you jump into that next information finding step, and you'll use that break to write down um, the things that you found and sort of put it together into a story. Right. Kind of step away from the, the documents. And number seven, you said you feel like you should be writing this down. Now, Mm -hmm. that sounds pretty logical. What do you mean by that? Yep, you just have that voice in your head that says, you know, if I don't put this down, who's going to do it? And, you know, what if, God forbid, something happens to me? You know, it's all going to be lost. So put it down on paper where somebody can find it. Yeah, I like what you say there at the end. Obey the voice in your head. Yes. (laughs) So our gut instinct is still pretty good. (laughs) If we feel like we should be, we probably should. Yes. And uh, wrap up, what was your eighth item on kind of how we know it's time to start writing and and sharing this information? You've you've done some research. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to, to tell people that any amount of research is a good time to start writing your family history. Even if you've only gotten, you know, back to your grandparents, for example, you can write about them as you do more, write more, and then you'll have a series of narratives that you can then hook together later on into, you know, a more flowing, longer family history. And that's a good way to go about writing it all down is to do it in small chunks like that. Right. Kind of digestible. And, And I love that because, as you say, you have to give yourself credit for what you've already done, and we don't have to be finished. Sometimes we feel like we have to be finished, right? (laughs) But we don't. And there's always another ancestor. There's always some unsolvable (laughs) problem. And if you wait until, you know, you find all the answers to your genealogy questions, you're, you know, you'll never (laughs) write it down. You'll never get started. So um, anytime is a good time to start. And of course, we don't want it to end anyway. So we might as well do it now. This is great. If you need inspiration, you need to uh, check out the full article, Eight Ways to Know It's Time to Start Writing Your Family History. Uh, Bookmark this one when you feel like you need a little uh, prompt to get going. She's got them for you. Eight of them. Diane, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on this episode. You're welcome.
Your grandchild is the cherished next chapter of your family's story. So what's the best way to capture and share the family story so that you can pass them on? Well, Stories from My Grandparent, an heirloom journal for your grandchild, is a wonderful book that prompts you to use your own words to tell your life stories from childhood to the present day. And here to share some ideas from the book is the author, and she's the guide to grandparents at about.com, Susan Adcox. Hi, Susan. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Thank audience. You. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. The, the book is great. I've already started filling in answers to the questions. And not only do I find that it's making it really easy, but it's drawing out some stories that I hadn't thought about capturing. I, I was wondering, do you have a few uh, questions that you think that every grandparent should answer? You know, um, a lot of times we share the facts about our lives with our grandchildren, but we don't get into the way we feel about things. And so I think that the very last part of the book where it's uh, all about me and some of the things that have been, have been important to me in my life, I think those are really going to be challenging and fun and valuable to our grandchildren. I, I totally agree. I know that the first half of the book really walks us kind of through the chronology, kind of talking about our parents and and really collecting all that information along the way. But one of the ones, the prompts that I picked up towards the end of the book, like you mentioned, it says, becoming a grandparent was a wonderful milestone in my life, but I still have goals. Here's what I hope to accomplish in the next few years. I bet you that's something grandkids don't always think about, is that grandparents still have goals. <laughs> that's exactly right. So when somebody's filling this out, do you encourage them to try to bring the emotion and the recollection of the feelings along with all these facts? Absolutely. Uh, I do think that it's a good idea to keep the accident on the positive. Uh, in the foreword to the book, I mentioned that if you have, you know, like bitterness or unresolved conflicts, I don't think this is the place to air those because things can change and you may feel differently about those in the future. But at the same time, I don't think that you should sugarcoat things because uh, one thing we've learned from research recently is that children are more resilient uh, they're more able to deal with their own problems if they know that people in their family uh, have faced problems in the past and have overcome those. I thought that was really interesting research. They're more rooted. Uh, they are more emotionally secure the more they know about their families. And I think this book is just going to be a great way for some grandparents to give their grandchildren that gift. I, I totally agree. I remember reading that research, and it makes a lot of sense because a child can often feel like, oh my gosh, this is only me, unless they hear about the realities of our lives, and obviously we survive them, so they will too. So uh, what a wonderful gift to be able to give a child to know that uh, there's always hope, and you're very resilient, and the family lives on, and they're all part of that. You know, back when I was a teenager, I didn't have your book, the wonderful book to, to prompt me, but I somehow had the wherewithal to write some letters to my grandfather. And I asked him questions, kind of like the ones where you prompted the grandparent to tell the story of their parents' courtship. And it was funny, when I asked my grandpa about this, he told me this cute story about 
my grandmother wanted a cedar chest and they they'd looked at them in stores and later he went back and he ordered one and he put a nameplate on it with her married name and he was saying like you say the emotional side he says I was feeling pretty cocky about myself pretty sure that I was going to get her and I thought that was so surprising do you find that uh, people often are kind of surprised by the stories that come to mind as they fill out the book oh absolutely they're just things that we never think to ask and uh, so I think the book would help a lot of people to get those stories out there And I liked what you said about uh, this being a priceless gift and the comparison to a letter. Sometimes we get so hung up whenever we're creating something like this and making it perfect. And as a result, what happens is we don't finish it. So I'd like the grandparents to think about it as being like an extended letter to a grandchild. And if you were writing a letter to a grandchild, you wouldn't worry about Oh, it has to be perfect. I can't have any markouts. I can't have any misspelled words. We didn't think about that whenever we were writing letters back in the days when we used to write letters. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the, the best way to think about the book, too. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just um, like a more sophisticated letter to a grandchild. Really, I, I agree. I think the only mistake you can make is just having lots of blanks. You know, put something there. And and it's funny how you'll go back and read it because you can't you really don't do it all in one sitting. And I found when I went back and I, I looked at a couple of, you know, short things I entered, then the second time around it brought up more ideas and I could I could kinda add to it. True. That's very true. Sometimes things have to just percolate in your brain a little bit and once they do then it's amazing what you can come up with. Exactly. But this kind of keeps it simple. What was the response with your grandchildren when, you know, you shared this kind of information? How did they react? They are really excited about my finishing them. (laughs) I haven't (laughs) finished them. I have seven grandchildren and I'm trying to sort of do them simultaneously because there are certain areas that you're going to repeat for each grandchild. And so instead of reinventing the wheel, you know, I'm trying to do that part where I can just copy it from one book to the next. And then, of course, toward, uh, especially toward the end of the book, where you get into how I felt when you were born, uh, those will be individual. So they're very excited about it. Oh, that's terrific. And tell us a little bit, I know that you do the the grandparent column that you've worked on on about.com. What's that about? That is just so wonderful and has taught me so much about being a grandparent Uh, We cover all kinds of topics from what you might expect to hear about things to do with your grandchildren and uh, little relationship issues that might occur. I also get a lot into the issue where grandparents don't get to see their grandchildren. Uh, That's been a really heartbreaking issue for me to have to deal with, but Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot about that. Uh, But I used to teach English, and the thing that I loved about teaching English was basically you can talk about anything under the guise of English, and grandparenting is sort of the same way. It's just such a wonderfully broad topic, and I've learned a tremendous amount from my work with About.com. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, as I was uh, working with the book, something came to mind in terms of incorporating some of the new technology that's out there, and that is once you've filled in the prompts and the questions, you could sit down with your webcam and you could spend five or 10 minutes, you know, 
each weekend and just record yourself reading and sharing some of the prompts, some of the, your answers to those prompts, so that they actually have recorded video of grandma or grandpa talking to them. I think that would be marvelous. That's a great idea. I'd never thought about that. Well, this is a wonderful tool. Again, the book is called Stories from My Grandparent, an heirloom journal for your grandchild. And it's an heirloom that you can start creating right away. And I will also have a link in the show notes for this episode to get you over to the Guide to Grandparents over at about.com. Susan, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. In this edition of the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History, we'll be taking a look at the Library of Congress website, which offers a wealth of resources for helping family historians tell their family stories. And here to give us the tour is James Sweeney. He's the head local history and genealogy reference services. Hi, Jay. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to talk to you again. You know, in this episode, we're kind of talking about sharing and saving our family stories. And when family historians pull together, you know, the births and the marriages and the deaths, they they start yearning to kind of put some meat on those bones, you know, and add some context to the story. So what would you suggest our first stop would be when we visit the Library of Congress's website? Well, Lisa, the Library of Congress is a great place to place your families in historical context. And the best place to begin searching is through the Library of Congress's homepage at www.loc.gov. And right at the middle of the webpage are our collection highlights. And you'll find American memory, prints and photographs. What you'll find primarily on this website are our online offerings. And I'm looking at them here. It's, it's, um, really easy to navigate because there's all these great little visuals letting us know the types of of content. So I see here what maps and veteran history and prints and photography. There's a a huge range here, isn't there? Exactly. It's a huge digital library. And as you state, it contains historical maps, photos, documents, audio, video. One is able to browse by topic or by keyword. Perhaps in our conversation, we can mention a few uh, of these Uh, collections to highlight that would be particularly important for family historians. Absolutely. For example, in American memory, and again, we might not find our ancestor listed specifically, but we might find the circumstances which others uh, found themselves, or for example, in regimental units or in personal narratives and diaries that may not mention our ancestor, but we might get a feel of how life was during that period in that location. And that's the value of of these resources. Our ancestor wouldn't have had to write a a diary in order for us to benefit from the diaries of others who perhaps worked along or served with our ancestors. For example, in American memory, just to highlight some examples, one is California as I saw it. And this is a a collection of first-person narratives of California's early years, 1849 to 1900. And why would this be helpful? Well, because it consists of full text and illustrations of 190 works that documents California's early years. 
but through eyewitness accounts. And so you'll find diaries, encounters. So it's interesting to browse to find, for example, if your ancestors were involved in, in migrating for the California gold rush. Many of these folks kept diaries uh, to get a greater sense of how life was like uh, on that frontier. That's a great point because like you say, it, it may not be that we're looking for our, our surname necessarily in on this website, but we're we're getting the context, aren't we? You're you're talking about people who were there who can describe the area. So it doesn't have to be our ancestor describing a situation or a location to be able to really flesh out that story. And in many of these diaries, especially, other names are mentioned that pinpoint ah. dates, places, events. Uh, it might record marriages, uh, who the justice was. And so we might be able to find corollary links through these diaries. Another, for example, uh, for the East Coast would be the Capitol in the Bay, narratives of Washington and the Chesapeake Bay region, roughly 1600 to 1925. And the value of these collections is that it pulls together full-text publications from the Library of Congress. So you're able to search full-text through these books, narratives, diaries, in, in pulling out information about uh, life in, in that particular location, uh, those events. Those are narratives, but there are, other there are other collections that might be helpful. Early Virginia Religious Petitions is a very interesting collection, and the value of some of these library online offerings is it pulls together uh, resources in multi-formats. I like the early Virginia religious petitions, uh, not only because it presents images of about 423 petitions submitted to the Virginia legislature between 1774 and 1802, but also with each of these petitions, their names listed. That you're able to pinpoint a name at a date at a specific location that you may not find in other places. Also to help, there are links to early Virginia maps that pulls offerings from a former geography and map collection. So on one website, you're able to, with a matter of clicks, jump from these petitions to the counties at that time and how they were organized, their jurisdictions, in order to, to trace your family history. Wow, what a great resource. If, if we're here at the LOC website and we click through to American Memory, what would you recommend? Should we go directly to one of these particular collections or do we start with the search box? How would you recommend somebody get started with that? Well, obviously, it's much more specific if you go right to that collection. You can browse by topic to get an idea. That would be my first suggestion. You can always type in keywords, although that is not the most effective way. However, if you've run out of clues, that might give you some. And so, that would be the second approach. Just type in some keywords and see what comes up. Unfortunately, and remember, you're, you're searching the Library of Congress. So you right. might find many more hits than you have time to look for. So what would be most specific would be trying to identify a collection and then searching within that collection. Now, I'll say this again at the end, but also throughout, that whenever you have questions about searching our library's webpage, and these various online digital collections, please note that at the top of the page and at each of the, the web pages of the library, 
there's an Ask a Librarian link that if you click on, your question will come to a librarian. And if you're not finding something that you hope to see, or you need guidance in being able to formulate a search, we encourage you to ask a librarian. Use that online link that you can formulate a question to us so we can get back with, so we can guide you through using our website if you have a challenge with that. Boy, that's wonderful. What a wonderful resource. Now, we just have a few minutes left. I'm curious about newspapers. I know you have the Chronicling America um, collection there on the um, website, and certainly newspapers is a wonderful way to, to add stories to stories. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Chronicling America is a wonderful project that, that's coordinated here at the Library of Congress. As you think as you search Chronic America, Chronicling America, think in terms of small-town county papers. Now, not all the states are represented, but many are. Uh, the papers are chosen at the state level, and then these files are, are sent to the library to, to coordinate on this website. But think small-town county papers. There are other uh, databases that serve the large metropolitan areas. But Chronic America is unique because these are the small towns uh, that are represented. These are the county papers. So you'll find obituaries. You'll find the personals. And the personals uh, during this time period, essentially we're talking about 1836 to 1922, the personals are the coming and going of folks. Uh, who's visiting? Who's home from college? Uh, who's away for the season? And so you might not find references to ancestors in the other place, perhaps, but the newspaper listed in a, in, in a, from a small town. Uh, Chronically America is, is easy to search. You can identify, limit by state, by time period, and then type in keywords. And those words will be highlighted on the images in Chronic America. In addition, now not all, of course, all these as I said, not all these newspapers have been digitized. There, there have been selections. However, uh -huh. if you find part of also Chronicling America is that there's a directory, the U.S. newspaper directory. So if you find that you have ancestors from a, a certain county that hasn't been digitized, you can go into the U.S. newspaper directory portion of Chronicling America to determine what library might have that paper, uh, perhaps most likely on microfilm, to be able to contact that library or to be able to continue your research. And so it, it's a dual-purpose database. One is to provide full-text newspapers for these small town and counties, but also as a directory to find other newspapers that may not be listed in the database. But as we know in, in family history research, newspapers are a goldmine as far as finding clues uh, to our ancestors, dates, places, in obituary, we might find military uh, information, what regiments a particular ancestor served in, like in clues in a, an obituary that might lead us then to records. You know, you've made a really good point. I want to emphasize it to those listening that the newspapers are sorted in these two different ways. When you're at the Chronicling America website, as, as Jay mentioned, you can see the tab that says all digitized newspapers. So if you want to start there and look at the ones that are digitized, you know, that's a great place to start. But then I see this, it looks like a purple button up here in the upper right-hand corner, the U.S. newspaper directory. And Jay, it looks like that's a 
wider time span. It's a 1690 to present. So that directory is far more reaching than the digitized collection, which is emphasizing 1836 to 1922. Is that right? That is correct. And of course, the 1690, you're thinking of the uh, newspapers from New England uh, during uh-huh. that time period. Not all newspapers, of course, existed in that range, but at least that's the scope of, of some of the newspapers in that database, yes. Wow. Well, you know, the Library of Congress is such a, a wonderful resource. I know we've just scratched the surface, but I think that you've got us all interested to kind of go back and be thinking about how we can add to those stories of our families through not only looking for them as individuals, but also looking for their their world, if you will, the context of their lives. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Jay, for taking a few minutes out to, to take us on our personal tour of the Library of Congress. Thank you. And again, as you have questions, please ask a librarian. Absolutely. That's, and, and tell us again the uh, website so we can find it. If you simply go to the library's website, www.loc.gov, you will see Ask a Librarian, the link in the upper right-hand corner. Perfect. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Jay. You're welcome. Well, you've worked hard to uncover your family's history, and you want to preserve your research in a form that's going to stand the test of time, of course. A keepsake book that can be shared today as well as archived for future generations. Well, if you've ever thought about doing a project like this, uh, it might have seemed a bit overwhelming, or you might have felt that you uh, had to complete your research before you could create your book, and that just simply isn't true. Family history books come in all flavors, from collections of family recipes to compilations, of oral histories. Well, I've invited Lisa Alzo back to the show to give us some pointers on this. And it's from her Family Tree University course. It's called Creating a Family History Book. Welcome back, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be back. Well, this course is absolutely perfect for our theme of sharing family stories in this episode. And uh, you've kind of laid out the structure of the class in uh, kind of a four-step process. I wanted to dive into those a little bit and help people start um, formulating some ideas about creating their own books. Uh, I know it says here, number one is planning. And what do we do in the planning stage? Well, it's really important when you start to think about writing a family history or, you know, if you want to produce a book or, you know, especially if you want to produce a long narrative of a book, it's really helpful to, to sit down and plan and understand what the scope is going to be, like what time period you want to cover, what family lines. You can write 500-page books, but that might not be the best approach for your family I always recommend doing smaller projects and and doing multiple projects because it keeps it nice and neat. And and so that's what we talk about in the first uh, lesson is is to plan the theme of your your book. And then all the prep that goes into it, you know, gathering things that you need, your information, your documents. If you do oral history interviews, and that's part of the lesson too, or maybe you have your relatives on tape from, from previous times that you were together. And so we have quick tips and, and, and ways to, to sort of bring that all together. What, what are some of your suggestions when, you know, because we talk about the scope of what we're going to talk about, and I fully agree, I'd rather write chapters or stories versus 
a whole huge book, but because those can be compiled into a book. How do we kind of narrow down what we're going to cover and more importantly, what we're not going to cover? Okay, for example, when I did my family history book, I I have a book called Three Slovak Women. And what Mm -hmm. I decided to do is I focused on my maternal grandmother and I, I laid it out in a sort of three section format, which was section one would be my, my grandmother's life. And I took it, you know, from her birth through her immigration and, and then through the things that she experienced marrying my grandfather and so forth and, and then having her children. And then the second section was focused on my mother, who was the first generation American and, and, and all the struggles she had growing up and, and what, you know, what, things she went through. And then the, the the last section was focusing on me and what these two women meant to me and my discovery of their stories and why I felt it was important to preserve them. So you can do something like that, or you, know, you can choose smaller themes. Maybe you want to tell the how we met stories, you know, how your grandparents or great grandparents met, or maybe military, maybe you have a civil war hero, or revolutionary war hero, or, you know, relatives that served in in the world wars. So maybe you want to focus on a military theme. So those are different ways you can break things down. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a great suggestion. I love the idea of, um, you know, you could collect the different courtship stories throughout your family. And each one is a chapter, you know, telling about the different courtships of the couples in your family tree. Or if you want to write the entire family history, I found too, it's it can be really helpful just to say it's going to cut off on this branch. <laughs> I'm not going into second and third cousins or whatever, you know, something where you kind of corral it together. Now, to bring all of this to life kind of brings us to the second section of your class, which is imagery, photos and documents. There's nothing like seeing it. Um, what kind of recommendations do you make to your students in that area? Well, we go over different aspects. So we, we touch, of course, this isn't a technical course. So it's not sort of how to edit photos or how to do anything fancy, but we give recommendations of free or low-cost software you can use and getting your image resolution right because it's different if you're doing print versus uh, something for the web or an ebook. And so we, we go into a little bit. We don't get too technical, but we just give recommendations. Uh, and then laying out your book, you know, how you want it to look, how many images you want. And again, it really depends on, that goes back to planning because are you going to do a full color book? Are you going to do black and white interior? Are you going to do just electronic? Because it makes a difference. If you're doing print books, if you're using a lot of color photographs and so forth, your price is going to go up. So it really depends on what you're going to do. But we'll also talk about, you know, what kind of images are, are eye-catching. So if you go back to that courtship, you know, maybe you have pictures of, you know, engagement photos of relatives or wedding photos, uh, whatever it is you want to include. So choosing the right images and also, you know, and maybe you, maybe you need some generic images. Maybe you don't have uh, an immigration photo or, or, or that time period, or maybe, so how to find copyright free images, some sites for, for doing that. And, you know, to just be a representative uh, to give a photo representation of the story that you're telling. 
Exactly. It doesn't have to be from our own family collection. Some of us have limited photos in particular areas, but gosh, we could go out on the, and like you say, look for those public domain historical photos and postcards and all that kind of thing. A quick tip. Do you think that it matters what file format our images are in? Like, should they be JPEG? Does it matter if they're PNG? Well, what I always do is if I'm scanning, I scan at the you know highest resolution I can get. And it depends if the photo's small or if it's big. Usually 300 DPI, and I usually save TIFF uh, for print. I usually save a master copy. And then if I'm going to do something electronic, you don't want the file size to be bloated. So you might go JPEG or PNG or, uh, you know, either one of those. I generally use JPEG, especially for the web or an ebook. Uh, but I just make sure that it's, you know, it's, it's clear and that I can see it. So those, those are just some of the tips that, that I use. Yeah, the TIFF file being uncompressed would be great for a press, you know, a pre-press type of document that you're going to print from. And then you could go with the smaller images when we're trying to get it to, to upload quickly or, you know, download quickly. Um, number three was research and filling in the blanks. You mean we got to do more research? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry to say you do. No, And actually, hopefully you're doing this as you go along, but maybe you do have some holes. So, for example, I didn't get a chance to talk to my grandmother firsthand. I knew her till I was in college. Biggest regret, never once asked her about her life or her immigration oh. experiences. How frustrating, right? And right. So I had to do research, but luckily I was able to go to Ellis Island and, and, and I knew that she came in through Ellis Island and they have a wonderful museum, but now mm -hmm. you can actually go on their website. There's a story section on Ellis Island and you can listen to, to immigrants accounts. And I, so I checked out books in the old days when you really had to go to the <laughs> library, not that you shouldn't do that anyway today, even though we have online sources, but when you, you know, I did that, I checked out books and I, I researched immigration at, in the 1920s. And so I got an idea of what her experiences were like on the boat coming over from, you know, from Slovakia, from Europe. And so, but today, you know, we can do things like using Google Books and Google News Archives and Internet Archive. And there's so many great sources out there. And so you can do a lot of research to get that background information that you may not have firsthand accounts of, but other people may have kept diaries or you can read history books and get a, a flavor of the social history, what was going on at that time. Exactly. And you can still convey what you can generally expect that the experience was like based on all of that history that you read, even though it wasn't your grandmother's specifically, you can still convey so that the reader gets a feel. What's it like to come through Ellis Island? Yeah. And then finally, the final product, it's your family history book. What do you do to kind of wrap this all up? Well, again, it goes back to your planning, but depending on what you want to do and what we do in the, the fourth lesson, we actually just pick one one service out there, which is Lulu, lulu.com. And we mm -hmm. just take an example through. So how to prepare it, how to choose the size. Do you want it as like sort of a coffee table book? Do you want it as a, a six by nine or a smaller book or a different, you know, there are different sizes you can choose. So we take you through a, a little example of, you know, this is, this is how to choose your setup. This is how to design a cover image. These are the checklists, the things you need to check you know, are your fonts right? Are they readable? Are the more, you know, everything that's correct how, before your book goes to the printer. And then, you know, we take 
take you through this step-by-step process. Now, with Lulu, you can do both print books and you can do ebooks, which is nice. And they've actually just added some new formats in the, the last month, too, for yeah. different distribution channels. But, yeah, so you... We'll take you through that and then what to do after your book goes to the printer. So arranging to, for people to download or order copies and how to get the word out. You know, what, if you're doing it just to your family or if you're doing a book that has a, a broader scope and you might want other people to know that, that you've published this, then what just some general tips on some things that you can do. We don't go into specifics of marketing and distribution, but we give you some general tips to get you started. Right, because not everybody's looking to to market their book. Sometimes they're just sharing with the family. But as Lisa's talking about, Lulu.com is a print-on-demand service. And it's so different than it used to be when we went to the local printer. You can literally upload the book and you can send the email out to all your relatives and say, okay, you know, it's ready. And if you're sharing the family history and they can come and order individual books that get printed on demand and it's still incredibly affordable. I mean, in the old days, you had to buy a hundred of them and hope to goodness that, you know, you could get them out to the family and that maybe they'd pay you back. That's exactly <laughs> but, what I did. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So wonderful. Well, if you're interested in learning more about creating a family history book, certainly this Family Tree University class is uh, a wonderful one. Lisa has a lot of really hands-on experience with this and uh, will help you fill in all the blanks to create your family history book. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing some of your tips from the class and we'll look forward to hearing from you again. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Lisa. As we wrap up this April 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, we've been talking about saving family stories and and talking to Lisa also about uh, how to create books and uh, Susan Adcox about her book and Diane had some great ideas from the blog. I'm curious, now that you're a mom, I'm guessing you're thinking more about saving family stories in your own and, and those in your family. Has anybody in your family ever um, somehow compiled the information or, or done anything special with it in your family? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Um, when I got married, my sister gave me my favorite wedding present, which um, was really clever and quite meaningful. Uh, what she did is she reached out to everyone in our family and some of our, my friends and asked them to each provide just a short write-up of a favorite memory they had of me or of me and my husband. Um, and she compiled all of that into a book, and she added pictures. And it was just so amazing. It was, you know, all of these great memories um, that I had of my time with my husband and also of just growing up, you know, of my parents and my sister and um, my cousins and friends and, you know, ev- in everybody's own words, what they remembered, all of those stories kind of came back to life and it really was very touching. And like I said, I think it's the most special gift that I received. Oh, what an amazing gift. I mean, and I suppose when you do it all at once like that, and you're just kind of contacting everybody, you make up a template, it's not that overwhelming either, to just um, put it out to the contact list and say, share a story. And my gosh, it would have taken you probably years <laughs> to compile all that. <laughs> That's true. And I think, you know, what was special to me is the fact that it was in their own words, because if I were to tell those same stories, which I probably will someday, you know, I would have a different spin on those memories. So it was 
really especially fun to have those in their own words. And she made it very easy in terms of putting it all together. She just got a photo album and she printed out each of the stories and, you know, put them in the slots where the photos go and um, added in the pictures and other slots. And so it was really, um, I think, not super um, difficult to put together. Um, and it was inexpensive because her only costs were printing out in the photo album. Oh, right. So she didn't actually publish, have to publish a book, she could go the, the scrapbook kind of route and, and still put together something really special. How awesome. I, I know that I dabbled in this a little bit a couple of years ago. Um, there was a company called Kodak Gallery. I don't think they're out anymore. I think it's Shutterfly now. But I just didn't see how I was going to sit down. I had kids, you know, in the house at the time. And it was like, how am I going to sit down and put the whole family history together? And I decided to do it kind of in chunks. So I picked a story like um, the immigration of my husband's grandfather from England to Canada. So it just covers a couple of years, you know, what led up to it and then the the trip itself. And I did like a 20 page uh, double sided color book, like a coffee table book. And what I found was that family members were so much more willing to read it because it wasn't 300 pages, right? I mean, something where it's very digestible and and, um, has some compelling stories and and pictures too. Don't you think pictures just make such a difference? I do think the pictures make a huge difference because it really brings the stories to life. And I agree with you 100% about breaking things into digestible chunks because, you know, we all kind of lose interest in something that's too dense. And so that's some way that you can also pick out the parts that are meaningful to some people and have, you know, them see just that part instead of trying to overwhelm people um, with too much information all at once. Exactly. Well, I imagine you have additional resources over there at Shop Family Tree. What else can we kind of tap into? We're not ready to sit down and, and make a whole book or anything. What could we use to kind of prompt us to tell these stories? Well, one thing that we have done over the years at, at Family Tree Magazine is publish a series of books that really are geared toward providing those prompts to help you get started. Uh, I know you talked to Susan about her journal stories from my grandparent. We have a couple other books that are similar to that, but um, take a slightly different bent. And they are really designed toward, you know, make doing those digestible chunks, breaking it down into one bite at a time so that you can kind of pick it up and, you know, do a little bit at a time or really pick out the parts that you want to do and, you know, leave the rest behind if you want to. But, um, you know, really focusing on making the project more manageable. Yeah, and that would be an ideal kind of a thing to give as a gift. You could give the book to your mother and ask mm-hmm. her to kind of fill it out. And if it's something like you say, that's kind of in smaller chunks, that's not that's a pretty doable project. Right. And so one of the books is called My Life and Times. And it's written by Sunny Morton, who is one of our regular contributors and a guest on the show. And one of the things that she did when putting this together, um, it's sort of a do it yourself autobiography. But do it yourself is a little bit misleading, because um, one of the unique aspects of the book is really giving some of these prompts to other people so that they can share those memories of you like my sister did with um, my family. And I just think that just is so unique and interesting and helps make a more rounded memory journal uh, for you and for your relatives who will be keeping it in the future. Oh, that's a great idea. And then uh, you said you had another one? 
Yeah, it's called Family Tree Memory Keeper. And this is um, kind of going back to the idea that many genealogists have this desire to produce a family history, like you were talking about with your books, how you broke it down. Right. Um, this is kind of the idea of a more comprehensive family history, but it, again, breaks it down into smaller chunks. So it's not a 300-page book. You know, it's a 200-page book, but you don't, it, it's full of fill-in forms. So basically, you've got all of the prompts to fill in information, and you may not use all of the forms. You know, for example, there's an heirloom recording form, and it's repeated in the book a number of times. You might only use a couple of them. Um, or, you know, there's a military chapter. You might use a couple of those pages and not fill them all in. Um, there's a family tree. There's information like family group sheets, the equivalent of family group sheets in there. And um, you kind of can just fill out as much as you have the information or want to get through. And it's something you can do just a little bit at a time. And you can make copies of them if you need more. Oh, that's great. So they're almost like templates. Exactly. They are templates, and um, it, it kind of gives you a, a rounded history of your family. It's not just birth dates and names and death dates and things of that nature. It really is geared toward capturing some of those, you know, the photos and the stories and the traditions and things of that nature that you won't find in records or in your genealogy database. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that's the stuff that's really worth getting down now so that that isn't lost um, and passing on to future generations. Well, I know I've been working on this, preparing for my youngest daughter's wedding, hoping to uh, get a completed uh, book over to her. And I imagine you, now that you're a mom, you got to start thinking about doing this too. I do. I've got a little <laughs> bit of time to work on it. So you can see still one. Yeah, that's the thing is when they're little, <laughs> it's uh, they start moving and uh, it might be a while till you get back to it. But um, what a what a wonderful gift to give to the next generation. Sounds wonderful. Okay, well, that was My Life and Times by Sunny Morton. And Family Tree Memory Keeper, that's by somebody we know, right? Right. That is co-authored by myself and Diane Haddad. Fabulous. Well, we'll have links to those in, in Shop Family Tree. And thanks so much for uh, also sharing some of your stories. And I love that idea that your sister did. We may have to do that for the upcoming wedding, too. All right. Always great to talk to you. We'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this April 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Diane's article. It's terrific. Eight ways to know it's time to start writing your family history. You'll find it over at the Genealogy Insider blog at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, you can head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything we covered on today's episode, including the Library of Congress website, the Creating a Family History book class with Lisa Alzo, and of course, all the other great uh, resources. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those are also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs>